0: Second Samuel chapter 6. How's everybody doing? Doing well? Happy Valentine's Day. Let's pray together. Father, right now we quiet our hearts before you and we come with gratitude, with thanksgiving, that you're our dad. We also come with faith and anticipation as that we read your word that you're going to speak to us. We're here to draw near to you, to encounter you, We ask that you would bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you created for? What's your purpose that God has given to you? We talk a lot about that. What's the God-given purpose? And it's to be a worshiper that's why we're here. That's why we're on this planet, is to worship the Lord. And a lot of times we put on focus on our calling. what's, What's our calling? But that's secondary to being a person who is submitted and in love with Jesus Christ. The first time that worship is ever mentioned in the scripture is Genesis chapter 22. And it unlocks for us the understanding of worship. Abraham has finally been given his promised child Isaac, what he's been praying for and waiting for through his wife Sarah. Then God speaks to him and says, "I want you to offer your child up on Mount Moriah. I want you to kill Isaac." And how difficult that news must have been for Abraham. And Abraham speaks to his servant and he says, "Isaac and I are going to go and we're going to worship." And there he uses the first word worship, the first time it's ever used in the Bible. And that helps us to understand what God means for worship, is a life that is completely surrendered to God, where we're not holding back anything from the Lord. As we look in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's really lessons in worship, because David has now been anointed as king over all of Israel. It's the waited moment. And what does he do? The first thing that he does as king is he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He wants worship and the presence of God to be the center of his kingdom. But not all goes well. There's difficulty, there's death, and there's lots for us to learn in this area of worship. So join me in verse 1 of chapter 6. Again, David gathered all of the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all of the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So if you're taking notes this morning, write this down, think it through, pray through it with me. First is a motivation for worship, a motivation for worship. Is David is motivated to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. You might be saying, well, what is the Ark of the Covenant? What's the significance of the Ark of the Covenant? It was something that God asked the children of Israel to build. It was a relatively small box, roughly about three feet, a three-feet cube, a three-feet rectangle, but it was hugely important because it represented the presence of God for the children of Israel in the tabernacle. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant was a copy of the law, also some manna, God's, God's provision, and Aaron's rod, his staff that had blossomed. You may remember from 1 Samuel that the children of Israel had lost the Ark of the Covenant because of their rebellion to the Philistines. The Philistines ultimately send it back on a cart and it comes to Abinadab's house. And it stays at Abinadab's house for 70 years. It's not part of the central life of the children of Israel until this moment where David says, I wanna bring in worship. I wanna bring in the presence of God. And it's because David was a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. David told us that he would rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. One thing that he desired, to dwell in the presence of God. So for our own lives, how do we get the motivation to worship? I don't think that motivation for worship, true worship comes from just trying to conjure it up. Or someone getting in your face saying, hey, you know, you you need to worship. You need to sing to God. I think it's based and motivated in the mercy and grace of God. That's the case for my life. That's what I have experienced and continue to experience in my life. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a lot of worship services. And I knew that the pressure that would come to say, okay, this is the time where you're supposed to sing. This is the time that you're supposed to lift your hands to God. My brother and I were 22 months apart, Unfortunately, he's older and I'm younger, but we would be singing songs like, you guys remember more love, more power, more love, more power, like years ago. And we'd change the words, you know, more beans, more weenies, more jet propulsion in my life. And we'd be doing it right in worship, you know, we didn't get it. We didn't connect. We didn't understand. And it wasn't because we hadn't understood the mercy and the grace of God. And that changed for me when I was a freshman in high school and God spoke to my heart and said, Eric, I love you while you don't wanna have anything to do with me. God demonstrated his love towards me while I was still a sinner. And you might be in that place this morning where you're saying, I just don't get worship. I don't get why people sing sing to God. I don't understand why they raise their hands to God. And God wants to touch you personally with his mercy, with, with his love and his grace. When we think about the mercy of God, it's God not giving us the judgment that we deserve. That's what we deserve from God. So he withholds that judgment, and then grace is him giving us his favor, his acceptance. Because Christ died upon the cross, then we're the children of God as we believe and trust in the gospel. And that's the motivation for our worship. That's the motivation for our praise. And when I connect with that, then I find that my heart is freed to worship. If I think about even the sin that I committed yesterday, the sin that I'll commit today, man, I deserve the judgment of God. And God presently is giving me mercy and grace. So it's not just something past tense in my life, it's something present in my life to respond to that to be able to worship the Lord. I got to tell you, if you don't connect with that this morning, the rest of the message is going to be meaningless, The rest of the message is not going to have have traction. When we go on to talk about about worship, it's all connected back, the foundation in the mercy and the grace of God. Many times we look for worship off of our circumstances. And Friday, when I was meditating upon this message, man, it was just fresh. And I found myself in that place of worship. I wish I could have given the message on Friday. Because Saturday, I was in a little bit more of a fog. It was harder to get to that place of worship. And that's the truth, isn't it? There's some days where all of the emotions of connecting with God's grace are there, and there's other times where you just don't feel it, and it's a sacrifice of praise. God loved me just as much Saturday as he did on Friday, and so I had to to work to meditate upon the grace and the mercy of God. So the motivation's there. They go to get the ark, verse 3. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And Uzziah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the cart. So notice that they put the ark upon a cart. They they didn't carry it. Uzziah and Ahio, their names, Uzziah means strength, and Ahio means friendly. In the Hebrew culture, they would name their children based on the meaning of the name, not the way the name sounded. And I think that the meaning of their names is significant. In verse 4, And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. So you have strength and friendly that are bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem. Then David and all of the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums and on symbols, So quite a production here. 30,000 had gone. We know that from, from verse one. Now every worship leader coming together. All of the instruments. David's excited here. What's a sistrum? A sistrum, I had to look that up as a percussion instrument. One that you would, you would shake. Verse six, and when they had come to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah put out his hand to the ark, of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. So the ark is about ready to, to fall over, so he stabilizes the ark. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzziah, and God struck him for his heir. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzziah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzziah. And Perez Uzziah means outbreak against Uzziah to this day. You may be saying, what in the world? Here, this is a great thing. They're going to get the ark. And all of a sudden, he simply touches the ark and and he dies? What's going on here? The only way to understand this is the context from the law. God gave specific instructions where he said the ark was to be carried only by the priests. It was to be transported with poles. You would put poles through the rings and they would carry it upon their shoulders. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, you may remember the priests went out before the children of Israel into the Jordan River carrying the ark. And so they had disobeyed the Lord here. They had put the ark onto a cart. Where did they get this idea of a cart? Well, the Philistines transported the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. And they they seemed to pick this up from the Philistines and make themselves feel a little bit better about it because it's a new cart, We got a special cart for you, and so we put the the ark there, but they had disobeyed the Lord. This is a lesson for us, and it's number two. It's the air in worship. It's the air in worship. The motivation for worship is there, but now we see this air that results in death, and we can do the right thing the wrong way. The right thing the wrong way, and we can be motivated to, to worship the Lord, but then we start to do it the world's way. We want God's presence. We want God's blessing. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, the church as a whole can fall prey to this. As we put together a big production, there's a lot of energy. We get strength and friendly, Uzziah and Ohio, and then we're going to try to, to worship the Lord. And God's saying, well, wait a second. I don't want it to be done the world's way. I want the church to be set apart. I, I want the church to follow my word. And before we know it, we're in a place of compromise. Whenever we try to do things in our own strength apart from God's word, we're gonna try to then have to stabilize what we've created and try to then put our hand out and give God a a helping hand if you would, and it results in death. I was trying to, to think of maybe some ways that we do this in our in our own lives, where we do the right thing the wrong way. There's that right motivation, but then we do it the wrong way. It's tax season. You know, probably the most discouraging part of this time of year, right? Who, who enjoys doing their taxes? And it can be tempting to say, well, I'll, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my taxes. I'm not going to report this. Nobody's going to know. And then I'll get a bigger return from the government. I won't have to pay as much money to the government. I'll get a re- bigger return from the government. Then I'll use the money for kingdom purposes. That'll be great. I'll give this to, to really people that are in need in Jesus' name. Well, it's the right thing to give the kingdom work, but we're doing it the wrong way, and it's going to lead to death. You might be sitting here, and you're saying, you know what? I'm a believer. I'm the child of God, and this is spoken to to believers, and you know what God has said about sexual purity, that sex is to be between a husband and wife inside of the commitment of marriage, but you've thought, you know what? I'm just going to kind of put this on a new cart. This is a new day. This is a new time. And so we're believers. We're boyfriend, girlfriend. We're living together. We're having sex together. But man, we pray together. And we have a lot of worship together. And we love coming to church together. Well, are you going to get married? No, no, no. This this is perfect. This is right. This is what we're going to do. And you you have this right desire to worship and to be close to God, have his presence in your life, but you're going about it the wrong way. And I've gotta be honest with you, it's gonna lead to death. Just like here where Uzziah died, it's gonna lead to death. If you really want God's presence in your life, then you've gotta do it his way. You gotta choose to not be in sexual sin. Choose to take some time to to seek the Lord and get godly counsel. Consider being married if that is the, the right thing to do. Maybe you're married, and you've got some extramarital activity that is taking place, and you too are in in sexual sin, and now you're with your spouse on Sunday morning at church, and you're saying, God, would you bless our marriage? Would you bring your presence into our marriage? It's Valentine's Day. God, we want your love to be in the center of our marriage. You know what God's going to say? He's going to say, cut out the extramarital activity. You've got to do it my way. So there's a huge lesson for us. I think there's some area of our life where we can relate and we can say, I make this error in worship. Verse 8, David's angry. You know, here he was trying to do the right thing and bring God's presence into his life, and it results in death. In verse 9, he's confused. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Many times when we're in that place of, of sin, we don't Realize the consequence that it's bringing and anger and confusion can be the response. How in the world can I bring the Ark of the Covenant? So David would not move the Ark of the Lord with him to the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. So David decides, I have to stop this process. And he takes the Ark to Obed Edom's house. It's just a good name, Obed Edom. Maybe if we ever get a, another dog, we will have to name him Obed Edom. You know. So he stops off with the Ark of the Covenant. The neat thing is, is Obed Edom is a Levite. We know that from First Chronicles. So David now begins to take the first step of obedience, of beginning to bring this into line with, with God's word. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed Edom. And all his household. It's kind of ironic. David's trying everything to get the Ark of the Covenant. Obed does nothing to try to get the Ark of the Covenant. It just shows up at his house and he's blessed. It's a gift of grace unto him. Now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. So God blesses Obed, it's because of the Ark of the Covenant, and that intrigues David and gets him interested once again in bringing the Ark to Jerusalem. So this is take two. He tries it again, he tries it with gladness in verse 13. And so it was, when those bearing the Ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Point number three is dependency. Dependency in worship it's different this time. Notice that the beginning of verse 13, when those bearing the ark, so now they're carrying the ark, they're doing it God's way. We assume that it's Levites this time. So they got the right men doing it the right way, and now they're very careful to stop. Every six steps, I'm going to stop. Kill a sheep, kill a cow, have the ultimate barbecue, make the sacrifice to the Lord, the burnt offering, the peace offering unto God. And it's a very vivid picture of what God desires in worship, that we're dependent upon him. That we do it his way, and we go through our life, we go through our days, and we pause, and in the awe of God, thank him for who he is. This is difficult. I find for me that once my day gets going, I'm kind of rolling, and I get very focused on tasks. There's a lot of work to do. I wanna I wanna get the get the work done. Whether it's at home or, or it's here. I try to start my day. I usually start my day with some time in the word and in prayer, in the day that way. But as I'm going through my day, it's very difficult to take six steps, pause, and worship the Lord. Take six steps, pause, and worship the Lord. So this is something that we can apply, that we can put into our lives. Maybe this week try leaving three minutes earlier than you normally would for work or dropping the kids off of school or wherever you have to go first thing in, in the day, the grocery store, leave three minutes early, get to work, and use those three minutes in the parking lot and thank God for who he is. Be in awe of him, be in awe of his grace and his mercy. God, I just, I just want to express my love to you. I thank you that I'm the child of God. I ask you to come and lead me today. I want to do, do your will maybe instead of just completely working through the lunch hour, is take a moment and and walk around wherever you work and and just take that brief moment to to pause and say, God, I thank you for, for who you are. I think that this is what Paul had in mind when he instructed us, pray without ceasing. It's that continual all of God. It's that I'm gonna pause. You're doing that this morning by coming to church. I know that your life is busy. I know that it's Valentine's Day. It'd be very easy to say, I'm not going to take the time to get together with God's people, but you're pausing. But may this not be the only time that we pause for the week, to stop and depend upon the Lord. What we worship reflects what we truly depend upon. So, so if I'm worshiping the Lord, that shows my dependence upon God. David showing his dependency upon the Lord. In verse 14, then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. This is point number four. It's the expression of worship. David dances before God. In his heart, he's grateful. In his heart, he's glad, thankful for who God is. And so he wants to express it. He wants that love to to go out before God. So he's dancing with all of his might, which is a biblical expression of worship. And he's wearing an ephod. And there's a lot of question about this. You know, people go, well, oh, was David dancing around in his underwear? And that's why Michael, his wife, gets upset in just a moment. Was he in his boxers? And, and that's the controversy. The ephod, we know what an ephod is. It's what the priests would wear. It was their garment. First Chronicles tells us that David was wearing an ephod like the other priests. It's not an issue of modesty. It was an issue of the fact that he's the king and the kings didn't put on the normal clothes of priests and that's what made Michael upset. And David says, I'm gonna identify with the priests. I'm gonna identify with the people of God. I'm gonna be a common man and I'm just gonna dance before the Lord and express my love to God. So what are some ways that throughout scripture, God asks us to express our love to him in worship. God actually commands us to sing. It's biblical. In the Psalms, there's many exhortations to sing to the Lord, for for he is good. And so we connect with what's happening in our hearts. God, you love me. I'm your child. You've forgiven me. I'm going to heaven. So I'm going to sing to you. And I've got to tell you this morning, if you don't express your love to God physically, actively with your body, you're going to miss out on closeness and intimacy with the Lord. There's something that's missing in your relationship with God if you've never entered into singing to the Lord. And you're saying, oh, come on, God knows my heart. He knows my heart. I'm singing on the inside. I'm just not one of those types. Well, it is Valentine's Day, so try that out with your spouse, right? Say, you know, I told you that I loved you when we got married. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) Guys, see how that goes, you know? your wife is going to want you to express your love, to to tell her how much. Wives, your husband is going to appreciate that if you do that as well. There's something powerful that goes about it. And so you're opening your mouth and you're singing to God of his goodness. It may feel foreign at first and you say, "Well, well, I don't sing good. Well, God took care of that as well. He said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. A noise doesn't sound good. Just, if it's joyful and it's a noise, make it unto the Lord. That's why we play the music loud here. That's why we do worship loud. Because then the person next to you, they don't know how bad you sound, right? It's just unto the Lord. You can, you can sing it out to God. If you've never done that before, if you feel that your lips are just locked, make that choice. It's a choice of the will to choose, to say, God, you're good, and I'm going to express it with my words. Maybe it's been a long time since you've identified with singing to the Lord, It's something that you've lost sight of. At some point in your relationship with God, maybe when you were first saved, you couldn't help but sing to the Lord. It wasn't based on your circumstances. It was based on who God is. And there was a song in your heart, a song upon your lips. May we return to that, return to that first love this morning. Another way that scripture tells us is to raise our hands to God, to raise our hands in prayer to God. What does it express when we're raising our hands to God? maybe you come here and you're like, man, it kind of freaks me out that people raise their hands to God. And I don't know, is that biblical? I mean, what's going to happen next? People are going to be rolling around, barking on the floor. That's not a biblical expression of of worship uh, to God, but raising our hands is. What does it show? What is a young child, when they lift their hands to their parent, expressing? Love, dependency, closeness, dad, mom, pick me up, They may not even be old enough to talk yet, but they lift their hands to the Lord. And when we're lifting our hands to God, we're saying, you're my dad. I love you, I need you, I I wanna be close to you. It expresses our excitement to the Lord. So there may be times where you feel that in your heart. Maybe you've been feeling that for years, months, but you're saying, I just can't, I just can't let it go. Again, it doesn't have to be forced. You don't have to do it because someone else is doing it. But if that's what inwardly is happening in your heart, man, express it with your hands. Express it with your love to the Lord. A very important one that God tells us over and over in his word is to bow before him. And that's something that our bodies should line up with our hearts. And there's something that powerful that happens when my body is reminded, Jesus, you're king. Jesus, you're, you're my Lord. And I surrender completely and fully to you. And here I am alone in my room. I'm going to bow before you. Everyone's asleep in my house. I'm going to Get on my face before the Lord in the hall and and just let you know, God, that I'm submitted to you. It's a time when we're taking communion, waiting upon the Lord in the sanctuary, and I'm going to go to a quiet place and, and kneel before you right here in the sanctuary because, God, I'm bowing down before you. But all of those really express intimacy with the Lord. How many people would you sing to one on one? I'm not talking about leading worship. I'm not talking about being a professional musician, singing in a choir. I mean, like, you wrote a song to them, you're going to sing to them. For me, it's a really short list. Only my wife and only my kids. I would sing to them. But outside of that, no way. I'm not going to say, hey, I got, a, I got a song that I want to sing directly to you because you're such a good friend. I mean, that's just weird. You know, if someone does that, you should run. Like, run for your life. Like You're weird. So when we sing to God, it shows our closeness and how he's a priority in our lives. Who are you going to kneel before? Probably only your wife when you propose, you know? So it's a big thing when you kneel before God. Who are you going to raise your hands to in dependency and adoration? It was probably only to your parents when you were a child. And so all of those things are very important. But it's needed for us to do like David and express worship, So David and all of the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. So they continue to express worship. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. So he's just going for it and she despises him in her heart. Now remember, Michael was Saul's daughter and she sees this worship and she rejects it and she rejects David for it. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. So the tabernacle is set up in Jerusalem as well. The ark is put in its proper place. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when they'd finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among the people all the whole multitude of Israel. Both the women and the men to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all of the people departed, everyone to his house. I love this. David is so overcome with the goodness of God, he's like, Man, you guys can't go home hungry. You need a meat, you need some meat. Go go have some barbecue when you get home, you know? Hey, have a raisin cake. Here, here's some nuts. And everybody's getting blessed by David. That's what happens when we spend time with God, amen? That's what happens when we're worshipers. We stop thinking about ourselves. We go, God, you've been so good to me. I want to be generous to others. I want to share your love. I want to take time to care for people. I want to give to people. It's a natural expression of worship to be generous. And then David returned to bless his household. He's excited to come home and bless his house. Ever been there? You go to a men's retreat, a women's retreat, and you come home and you're like, man, I just, I just want to share this with my family. You have a good time with the Lord in the car, and you're like, I can't wait to get home and to pass on this blessing. And Michael and the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So she's just ready to discourage him. She despises him for this worship. Saying, you've made yourself to be a common person. She's royalty. She's of the royal family. She's Saul's, Saul's daughter. You're not acting very royal here. And David responds. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord. And that's the key with our worship, it's before the Lord who chose me. Is your worship before the Lord? Our attention shouldn't be upon others. Maybe one of the reasons you don't express worship to God, I don't express worship to God, is like, well, what is someone gonna think? You know, what are my friends gonna think? What's my spouse gonna think? What are people around me gonna think? I I got a newsflash for all of us, is you know what? They're not thinking about us. We go through our days thinking, oh man, everybody's thinking about me. And that's not true. They're too busy thinking about themselves, right? They don't care. They're not worried about it. We don't need to worry about it. We just need to do it unto the Lord. What, what's God doing in my heart and how can I express that to the Lord? Not only in this place, in this time of, of worship, but throughout my days, throughout my life at work and, and with my family. And David says, I didn't do this for you. I, I did it for the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all this house to anoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. He lays it down here. He gives her the smackdown. He's like, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, God rejected your dad, and he chose me, you know. <laughs> Sends a message to her. And I'll be m- even more undignified than this. I'm not worried about being dignified. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm worried about being a worshiper. And I'll be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken of, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael... The daughter of Saul had no children till the day of her death. Was this a judgment from God? No, I don't think so. I don't think God judged her because she was despising David's worship. I think it was the natural fallout of what happened in their marriage. David just said, I'm done. There's gonna be no more intimacy between you and me. We don't see any relationship between David and Michael this point forward. And it's what happens ultimately with us and God when we reject worship. And it's our last point. It's point number five. It's rejection of worship. Before I talk about the rejection of worship, I've got to hit this a little bit if you're married, is it's not an appropriate response to shut off intimacy with your spouse if you're having difficulties. David doesn't do the right thing here. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that intimacy is to be expressed and enjoyed inside of marriage. These issues needed to be worked out. There's real issues here that need to be worked out. And so I wouldn't want anybody to read this and go, well, well David cut off intimacy, so I'm gonna cut off intimacy, you know? There's challenges in our marriage, so, so forget that. No, you wanna work out those challenges, allow God to bring reconciliation. But let's look at this rejection of worship. And please hear me on this and pray this through. I think without intentional effort, the direction and the tendency of believers is to fall into the same footsteps of Michael where we become critical and we despise worship. Why do I think that? Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he doesn't want us to worship. So when we gather together and we set aside this time in our week to worship the Lord, man, Satan's active. He wants to steal from that time. He wants to plant lies. And he'll get our hearts into that place where we become critical. We have a critical spirit towards worship. Instead of coming to focus on the Lord and his grace and his mercy, we find ourselves going, I don't really like this song. You know, who chose this song? Man, this worship leader, I don't like that worship leader. I I really like this worship leader. Ah, Here I am listening to the Christian radio station again. Who puts this lame music on here? I've heard, this, I've heard this song so many times and if we stopped and we realized, we're going, man, I'm being Michael. I'm being critical. This is a good song. It expresses the truth of who God is and I have the opportunity to worship here and I've got to confess to you that I'm far too critical of worship, that I find myself being tending to move in that direction of analyzing the quality of worship instead of entering in to be a worshiper And I miss out, I miss out. For us to dedicate time to worship the Lord together is not just a warm up to the message. It's not about just getting to the message. Jesus told us that he wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. That he seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. The truth of God, and as we study it, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, is to bring us into the awe of God where our spirit expresses love to the Lord. So be careful. May we all be careful. When we find ourselves getting that place, we're saying, I'm gonna be critical. I'm gonna despise. Ultimately, it brings us to a place where we lose intimacy with the Father. That's the result of the rejection of worship. What if Michael would have had this response? The tabernacle in Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, worship being the central part of everything that we do. Oh, this is awesome. This is incredible. I'm coming out of my palace. I'm gonna dance with my husband and we're gonna worship the Lord together. Hey, give me some of those raisin cakes. I wanna give out some raisin cakes. God loves you. Here you go. And there's always that opportunity. We can look over at someone else and we can go, oh, what are they doing? Why are they singing like that? Who chose this song? Or we can enter into the presence of God.